en een hartelike goeiemorgen. Welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord. En Psalm 119, sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Kry dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. From your ear, to your heart, to your mouth, to your feet. Join this life on 657 AM. That's where you tune to, warm-hearted, good morning, Abushedi, Mulweni, Dumelang, Sanbonani, Goeiemore, hello Rocky Stevenson, how are you doing? Sure, after such a greeting, I don't know how to even <laughs> respond, I mean like, pick amazing, a Pick a language, we've amazing. got 11 to choose from, pick a language. Apparently I'm really fluent in Afrikaans, yeah. so it can go good with me, thank you. Yeah, well done, Rocky Stevenson, Pastor Rocky Stevenson, uh, well uh, that's uh, Pastor at the Benoni Bible Church. With us this morning, once again, skriftierlik tot en met 12 uur vanmorgen. Goeiemorgen aan jou, in jou huis, in jou motor, waar jou ook al is, by jou werksplek. Lekker om weer saam. Ek sê nou vir Rocky, dis die tyd van die ochend, waar ek so uitsie daarna, om achter die microfoon saam met jou te kan keir. En wat een groot, groot voorrecht vir ons twee, om hier saam met jou te kan wees. Skriftierlik, scriptural, until uh, 12 o'clock this morning. And so, uh, the uh, DNA of this program, simply on the basis that if you're struggling with God's word, by any means, as daar enige iets is, iemand het iets gesê ergens wat nie vir jou sin maak en die woord van die Heere nie, dan stuur jy die vraag in Radio Kansel toe vir oogend. So eenvoudig soos dit, nie, jy gebruik WhatsApp en jy stuur het in, nie a voice note nie, not a voice note. We have, don't have time to uh, pl- drag in the voice notes and check uh, that it's all okay before we play them. So, jy moet om uittik. Ek gaan vir jou nou die WhatsApp nommer gee. Kry jou phone recht, kry jou contacts recht, kry jou uh, potlood en papier recht, en dan stuur jy dit vir ons. Christinkie, ek sien hier, jy is sommer alweer aan die gang. You see that, Rocky? It's uh, in Afrikaans, but I'm here to translate for you. What does it mean to pick, take up your cross every day? Dis haar vraag, maar ons het ook een ander vraag vir ochend wat ons mee gaan wegspring en dis mol daar van Benoni wat ook vir ons een vraag hier ingestuur het van Genesis 6 and verse 9. So Christine, uh, take a number, we'll be with you in the meantime and see if we can answer that number. Kan ek vir jou vraag, ons bid vir jou. Voordat ek en Rocky in hierdie atelier kom, bid ons dat die Heere ons geestelike oor en oorissel oopmaak. Maar kan ek ook vir jou vraag, om vir ons te bid, dat dit wat ons deel nie vlees sal wees, nie maar geest sal wees. The undiluted word of God. To share, uh, Rocky and I had a discussion this past week, and you know what, we're not in a popularity contest. We're not here to make uh, ourselves feel good. We're here to see what the word of God says. And sometimes it cuts onto bone and marrow. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. So if you've got a question 
a lifestyle question, any question, just a, a sideline remark, just uh, please jot down the scripture that you're struggling with. It makes it easier for us to find it in God's Word. And then ultimately, if you're not participating in the program, won't you pray for Pastor Rocky this morning, that God would use him mightily, and that those who listen this morning will be blessed. I'm talking about you, that you will be blessed by this program this morning. Yaku, yeah. Baie dankie, hy vraag daar so interessante, hy sê het ons een plat aarde of een ronde aarde, waar staan het in die Bijbel? Very interesting, flat earth or round earth, is it mentioned in the scriptures? Yaku, we'll we'll, we'll get to you this morning, my brother, baie dankie wak. Alright, so here's the uh, WhatsApp number, 082-657, are you keeping up? 082, Vodacom Network, then 657, the frequency on which you're listening to Radio Pulpit to right now. 657, then the number 2, and then 729. Radio Cape Pulpit's frequency. That makes for a very unique number, doesn't it? Uh, 082-657-2729. Jot it down, and that's how you participate in Scriptural uh, this morning, by uh, sending us a, uh, a message on WhatsApp, and please make note of the Scriptures that you're not sure of. Okay, Enough said. Uh, time is uh, ticking out on us, and Mill from Benoni asks a question. She says, in Genesis six nineteen, before the flood, God tells Noah, and this is what the Lord said, Genesis six nineteen: take two of every living thing. Uh, take special note here. The Lord says, take two of every living thing: one male, one female. And then, just before the flood, Genesis 7-2, God tells Noah to take them by sevens. Clean animals and two unclean animals. Uh, is that three pairs of clean animals, one sacrifice? Or is it seven pairs of clean and one for sacrifice? She says, I, hasn't, I, I hadn't noticed the by sevens before and that uh, more clean versus unclean were commanded to be taken in and the significance, the wisdom of God's number, clean versus unclean. Um, there's a clear discrepancy between Genesis 6.19 and Genesis 7.2. How do we answer Mill from Benoni? Rocky, over to you. Yeah, what a wonderful question. It's, um, it's a joy to get into that. And um, I thank the Lord that I've been preaching through the book of Exodus in our morning services for almost 40 years now. <laughs> at Benoni. But, um, and you, it, what's helpful with that is that Moses has written the first five books of the Bible. Yeah. And so the first book that was actually probably written as far as penned down was the book of Job, which was written during the period of the patriarchs. But the events that are in Genesis precede the events that happen in Job's book. But what you do see is the way in which Moses writes this is very similar even to the way in which he talks about the tabernacle in Exodus. And so you do see at the end at least of the flood account the sacrifice that happens. But um, let's, let's work through it this way. Noah was also on the ark for one year minus one day. That's a really long time. Imagine for a moment how much food one consumes for a whole year for a family of eight adults. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That's who went into the ark. That's who came out of the ark. Something else to take into consideration is that it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. 
So between what we read in Genesis 6 verse 19 and Genesis 7 verse 2 was a time period of 120 years in which which Noah preached. Rocky, building a ship for which you've never seen rain before. Yes. It's mind-blowing stuff. And, and, And I mean, we see this picture actually given to us. Um, in Second Peter yeah. chapter two verse four to ten, because Noah is used as an illustration by Peter about how God sees the suffering of His yeah, servants right. in this world, and I'll read that section to us in a moment, um, because you can see how Peter points that out, and he says God knows how to deliver the righteous from trial. It was actually a trial for Noah building this ark while he's preaching for 120 years, and nobody actually listens to him. Everybody ignores him. He's just crazy, you know. This yeah, this guy yeah. that. You know, he's, um, as I saw in a meme once, the first conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. Noah, he's saying, this thing's going to happen because God told me this and everybody's just going their own way. So Second Peter 2 verse 4 to 10 says this, For if God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. So more than just an ark builder, he was a preacher of righteousness with seven others. When he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly... And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who go after the flesh in its corrupt lust and despise authority. And so we have that encouragement from Peter, and the people in Peter's day were actually suffering for righteousness sake as they preached the gospel in an ungodly world. So 120 years in between Genesis 6 and Genesis 7. Wow. And so that gives you a little bit of a time. God gives him what he's going to do, what his mission is going to be in Genesis chapter 6, and he gives more information to that in Genesis 7 as they're going into the ark. So there's extra context which is then helpful for us regarding the question that's presented. If you read in Genesis 6 verse 21 to 22, it says, As for you, and this is still now 120 years before they go into the ark, As for you, take for yourselves some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself. And it shall be for food for you and for them. Who's for them? Well, it's not just him and his family, but also for the animals that are on the ark. Thus, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. And so you see this righteousness of Noah doing what God said, obeying the Lord. And then notice that we don't see everything regarding or anything regarding sacrifices in chapter 6 or in chapter 7. So for the 120 years later, God tells them to enter the ark, and then it would seem that Noah was to take seven pairs of clean animals. That's from the plain reading that we see in um, chapter 7. He was to take seven pairs, it would seem. And contextually, you know, Moses was the writer of Genesis' account, and he wrote what was later in Exodus, and so he speaks about clean animals. Now, the clean animals would have been used for the eating but also for the sacrifice. Those were clean animals that we were given. And so Moses would later describe what are clean animals and what are not clean animals. But it would seem that Moses, even at this time, or rather Noah at this time, knew what was clean, what was unclean. So either he got that by oral tradition from Adam and then from somebody like Enoch who walked with God and was no more. But we also see that in our section in chapter 6 verse 9, we see that it says this, and these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, 
blameless among those in his generation, Noah walked with God. And so Noah had an intimate relationship with the Lord. He walked with God. So it's fully reasonable to assume that God actually told him directly, by direct revelation, what was clean and what was unclean animals. What should you eat? What should you not eat? What should you sacrifice? What should you not sacrifice? So a clean animal was an animal that you were allowed to eat. And an unclean animal was an animal you were not allowed to eat. Like Old Testament law prohibited one from eating something like the flesh of pigs or crayfish or prawns. But you're allowed to eat sheep or goat or cow. You know, and later on you see somebody like Peter who's told to get up and slaughter and eat and yeah. you see how God has made all things clean. You stepped on a lot times. of toes with crayfish and prawns. You know <laughs> For that, sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful I, that the Lord saved Gentiles like us and allowed us to still eat some of these I, I, I saw an ad the other day that says God hate prawns, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, but it makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. And so, so my best assumption regarding the command of taking seven pairs of clean animals was for the sustenance in keeping with the command towards the end of chapter 6 in regards to taking food along with you into the ark for Noah and for his family. So this would be like a, a well-oiled floating zoo, if you can imagine it, which needed to be self-sustaining for the period of a year. And the waters would prevail on the earth for that time. This was a mammoth task. I mean, mammoths would have been on the ark as well. Yeah. And verse 8 and 9 reiterate in, ver in chapter 7 this. It says, of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground by twos, they came to Noah into the ark, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. So he still fulfilled the command of by two, by two, by two. With but you. with the clean animals, there were seven pairs, it All would right. seem, All from right. what we see. Verse six, 14 to 16 reiterates this once more. It says, they and every beast are after its kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every fowl, every winged creature, so they came to Noah into the ark by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded them, had commanded him, and Yahweh closed it behind him. And so you get this picture of grace that you see in this so marvelously. And there's no mention, and this is important for the question, there's no mention in chapter 6 or 7 regarding sacrifice yet. And we don't see anything other than a possible connection to the need that Noah and his family would have had for food. And remember also that Noah and his family were not the only omnivores. Remember you got um, herbivore that only eats plants, yeah. omnivores that eat plants and meat, yeah. and carnivores that eat only meat. He was not the only omnivore, let's say carnivore, aboard. There were lions aboard, cheetahs aboard, leopards aboard, crocodiles aboard, hyenas aboard, wolves, wild dogs, dogs yeah. wolves, mm. and a whole host of scavenging animals, meat-eating birds like vultures or eagles. So you've got a lot of death that actually happens on the ark. And we, we sometimes don't think about this. All of the yeah. butchery work that had to happen. There was careful management by Noah and his family. There was much slaughtering. There would have also been births on the ark. Just to think about that for a moment. It, it could be altogether possibly possible that some pregnancies happened with yeah. Noah's sons. You know, that they came out of the ark as eight, but then later on a child was born to Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Yeah, and but, so but you, speculation, however, it's not stated yes, in Scripture. It's not stated there yeah. for us. But out of the animals, they would have been giving birth. They would have been having babies while they were on the ark, and they would have been eating while they were on the ark. And so I, I think it's altogether possible that in, in chapter 8, verse 20 to 21, where we read about Noah coming out of the ark and actually giving a sacrifice to Yahweh, I, I think that it's possible that that was even the firstborns of those animals that were in the ark. That, yeah. And he takes off every clean animal, and that's what 
Genesis 8 verse 20 to 21 says, And the Lord smelled this aroma, and it pleased the Lord, and he gave this covenant to to Noah that he will never do this again, and he talks about the rainbow, etc. Yeah, and yeah. so you only have a sacrifice in chapter 8 verse 20 to 21. You literally and, had a bride. And that is yeah. actually a um, all of the clean animals. So he all took right. of each one of the clean animals and the clean bird, yeah. and that was what he offered as a sacrifice. And so that may have been some of the offspring of some of these clean animals that would have been used for food in the ark and for food for the carnivores and omnivores. All right. Mo, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Brilliant question that you've uh, uh, posted, and thank you so much. Hope we answer that for you. The difference between uh, Genesis 6:19, uh, Genesis 7, uh, verse 2, and then, of course, uh, the sacrifice that takes place in Genesis 8. So thank you so much for that. Die nommer in die atelier as jy wil deelneem aan die program en baie dankie die vraag is bezig om in te stroom en sit net vir ons die skrifgedeelte by van dit wat jy graag wil weet. Christine had a question, Rocky, and she asked us about taking up your cross. What does it mean to take up your cross? We'll take that in a moment or so to answer that. If you want to uh, send your question through, you can do so on 0826572729. Interesting question that came up, I think it is, let me see, Christopher Whittaker. It says, somebody says they're a professional Christian. He says, yes, I know that to study and graduate and all that stuff. Uh, but what does it mean when somebody says they're a professional Christian. Christopher, I've asked that question when somebody says to me, I'm a Christian businessman. Uh, yeah, well, we'll tackle that in a moment or so, but let's go to Christine's question first. Uh, is that part of taking up your cross, uh, Rocky? What do we say? Yeah, um, if, you, if you're looking for the reference for taking up your cross, and, and this is helpful because you do want to have a proper context regarding this, you would go to Luke chapter 9 and looking from verse 23, and it says this where our Lord says this, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Wow. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the, fa- of the Father and of his holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So that's the broader passage that we see that this is spoken about. And it's just after Jesus speaks about the way that he would face death. And he foretells his death in verse 21 to 22 of Luke chapter 9. And so that gives you a bit of the context. Jesus was about to face the cross. And yeah, he gives three commands to his disciples. He says, this is the cost of discipleship. You need to, first of all, deny yourself. Then you need to take up your what cross. What does that mean, denying yourself? Yes, I mean, you've all of our desire towards being like God in the sense of our narcissistic type of a nature that says, I'm the one that is the king of my castle. And you need to put yourself aside and you need to be honoring the Lord and saying it's you who's the one that is going to be glorified in this life, not me and not my own self. And so I do think that there's a wonderful, you, you can see the challenge that is here. Even the challenge that our Lord Jesus faced in Luke chapter 4 regarding the temptation that Satan comes to him. Satan attacked him in three ways that were common in the way that 
that even Adam and Eve fell. Yeah. And, and we see this in our world today. We still have that narcissism, hedonism, materialism. It's the puff me, please me, pay me mentality wow. that many have, have taken. And this is the same. The opposite of that is this call to discipleship, which says to us, deny yourself. So that goes against that narcissism. Take up your cross. That goes against your pleasure-seeking hedonism. And follow me, which goes against the the whole materialism, you know, collecting for yourself things. And you can see the opposite of this in this passage because he says, what if you save yourself, but you actually, you save all of these things, but you actually lose yourself. You, you lose your soul and you're not willing to go through suffering for my sake because of the the way that you're trying to protect yourself. And so the cost of discipleship is actually the same thing as what our Lord Jesus went through by taking up the cross himself and going to the cross, doing what God's will is. And so that's the key element of taking up your cross. It's being obedient to God, even if it costs you and even if it hurts you. Yeah. And no matter what it is, you just look at God's word and you do the next obedient thing. And the Bible does tell us that anybody that seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, Timothy says. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jesus himself says, if they hated me, what will they do with they you? Will hate you too. They will hate yeah. you as well. Yeah. We are light inside of a world filled with darkness. And this is the judgment, John three nineteen, that the light is coming to the world, but the people have loved darkness. And so when you're living in a world that loves darkness and you're shining the light of the gospel of Christ, then you're taking up your cross. All right. You're not just living in a corner somewhere. You're actually you're willing to be salt. You're willing to be light. And that's part of the point of this. If you do the opposite, you're actually ashamed of Jesus. So, yeah. so this taking yeah. up of the cross is actually carrying the burden that he gives to you. But Jesus also promises us. He says, take on upon me your yoke. Oh, sorry, my yoke, which is light and my burden, which is not heavy. Because Christ in us, by the, the help of the Holy Spirit, helps us to carry these burdens while we're in this world. And so it's a life that is dependent upon the grace of God and is willing to be obedient no matter what the cost. But you've got to remember those three commands yeah. that are in order. Deny yourself. You're not going to be able to take up your cross if you don't deny yourself. Then take up your cross, and then you see that added piece that says daily. So what is the struggle of the Christian? It's a every single day struggle. Every a daily day. dying to self. A daily, you daily know, a daily taking up your yeah. cross. I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus today. Yeah. It's a daily decision. Yeah. You know, yeah. yes, the Lord has woken me up this morning. He's given me air in my lungs, a heart that's beating. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm going to live for his glory. Yeah. I'm not going to live for my own vain glory and mm -hmm. go my own way. I'm going to trust him. And now you think about how anxious we get so easily. And it's because we battle to trust the Lord. And part of this taking up our cross is going, I'm willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. I'm willing to do that which... People will not like. People don't like the truth. They don't like to hear that there's sin and that there's righteousness. They don't like to feel conviction. But we're going to live for the glory of God. That's taking up your cross and then following him. Because yeah. it's one thing if you just do the denying yourself, taking up your cross, and then you just suffer for the sake of suffering. You've got to actually be focused on the Lord Jesus All right. and go the way that Jesus went, which was to the glory of God. Yeah. Right. Uh, Christine, hope that answers it. Uh, Rocky, that ties in beautiful with Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I that live. I've been crucified Christ. with Christ. Yes. Amen. And the life I now live, I live in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ living in us, shining through the cracks Indeed. in your life. Christine, bless your heart. Bye. Thank you. Prachtige vraag wie je daar
gevat, wat beteken het om elke dag jou kruis op te neem? Where is that brother? There he is. Rocky, shall we tackle that one? That's an interesting one. I think you need to uh, shoot from the hip, so to speak. He says, sure. uh, I don't understand when somebody tells me they are professional Christian. Uh, in Afrikaans, I've met people, Rocky, that says, hy is a groot Christian. And, uh, you know, do we find that even in God's word? Can we say, I'm a professional Christian? What does it mean? Does it mean I've studied, I'm graduated, I'm now an evangelist, I'm a pastor, I'm a or what does that actually mean? Are we? A, can we say that? Uh, is it scriptural to say that? Uh, Christopher, what do you go? Let's find out what yeah. uh, Rocky answers. Um, I think that your a good place to go would be something like First Corinthians, and in First Corinthians you have a bit of an answer from Paul regarding this in verse twenty six, I believe it is, of First Corinthians, where he talks about where we've come from, and it says, but. But to those, and so from verse 22 you could read, he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, of God. for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling. So yes, how we would answer this kind of a question, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Wow. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who, because are, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord and so this would be the encouragement towards that kind of a question we ought to have no boasting in ourselves if we were really honest with ourselves we would see that none of us deserved to have salvation at all what we deserved was completely contrary that's why we call it grace that's why we call it mercy we've received mercy because what we deserved was hell and yeah. anything less than hell so is this, mercy. So this self-entitlement yes. of I'm a professional Christian, I'm a, a big Christian, I'm a, yeah. you know, th- th- that is not scriptural. Then. Well, it's, it's, it's a boasting. Yeah, it's um, boasting. It's actually looking at yourself and seeking that others would also pat you on the back. It's like a person that says, well, trust me. You know, you mm. immediately start to feel like <laughs> you can't really trust them so much. And often what you might even find is somebody will say, well, I'm a professional Christian. And then you ask, okay, what local church are you part of? Yeah. And then like, uh, um, uh, uh, uh well, I I, uh, um, I visited that one once yeah. upon, and there's almost no church that's good enough for them because they've got such a high view of themselves that they have a, a low view of the church, and sadder than that is often they have a low view of Christ. Yeah. When you have a high view of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the grace and the mercy that he's poured out for us at the cross, you can't have anything else other than boast in the grace of God. You, you are brought low. You, you, God humbles the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Yeah. This is the reality of the scriptures. Mm. And so saying, well, I'm a professional Christian is it, it really betrays a lack of humility 
within the heart of an individual. And I think I get that sometimes we talk like this flippantly because we hear somebody else talk like that. Um, But we ought to actually be humbled where we realize, like, what am I that God would actually do this for me? Like, woe is woe, woe is me, but yeah. look at how great he yeah. is. Yeah. And that's that's the the reality of somebody like the Apostle Paul. If you go and track, he wrote 13 of the New Testament books. I mean, that's a lot of literature that's written by the Apostle Paul. Arguably one of the smartest men that ever lived on this earth, um, obviously outside of our Lord Jesus Christ and somebody like um, Solomon. S- yeah. Solomon, you know, yeah, but yeah. you've got somebody like Paul, brilliant. Just brilliant, 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 if you've studied his his literature. And what you see is you track his books that he writes. He starts off by saying, I'm the least of the apostles. And by the end, in 2 Timothy, which is his last book, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Refers to himself as a bond servant. Yes, I mean, as you are growing nearer to the Lord Jesus, the more humbled you become. So. And who would who is really great? Listen to what our Lord Jesus said. He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be least. Yeah. least. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing that happened with the disciples is often what many Christians fall into that trap. That argument of who's the greatest. Yeah. I'm the best. I'm the best. Mm. And interestingly enough, you know, Jesus washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13 and he says, go and do likewise. I've shown you humility. Yeah. I've shown you love. Yeah. I've yeah. shown you service. Now you, go and do it. now you guys go and do yeah. this. And there at the table, he washed Judas's feet. No different from how he washed everybody else's feet. And soon after this, he passes the bread to Judas and John tells us that he even tells his disciples, the one that I'm giving this to is the one that's going to betray me. And he says to Judas, go do what you meant to do. Do it quickly. You know, yeah. go do what you've intended to do. Yeah. The other disciples are so busy arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That they miss it. That they miss it. And they think to themselves, well, Judas must be his favorite because yeah. he sent him on a special mission. Yeah. And yeah. so this is how we sometimes can get so caught up in ourselves that we forget about the holiness of God and we forget about the grace of God right. and we forget that actually all exists for his honor and his grace. All right. Now I want to ask you because you ask a very pertinent question. He says, when someone tells me, that means that person approached him, tell him that they, uh, he or she is a professional Christian. How am I to react? What am I to do in circumstances? Do you just say, yeah, yeah, and you turn around, you walk away? Do you correct that individual? Do you help him right? Do do you have a discussion like we're having now? What do we yeah. do in that circumstances? I think each, each situation might be a bit different, and your relationship with that individual might be a bit different. What I've often done, I, I guess sometimes a sense of humor helps with these things. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've had these moments before, even in sometimes some, some pastor meetings where you, where you with pastors and guys will, were really like wax lyrical, you know, about things. I'll, I'll often just respond humorously and be like, well, I'm really the least of these, you know, yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm really a terrible Christian or, you know, yeah. and you put a, a little thing there and, yeah. you know, but you don't, sometimes, sometimes it's better just to stay quiet and to carry on. And, yeah. you know, if the Lord gives you an opportunity with that man or that person, for a while and you're able to actually sit down with them and actually interrogate what do they mean by what they they saying and and maybe you know we also are also very prone to misunderstanding sometimes with people and we yeah. we really battle with communication we're not the holy spirit as well and so um, a passage like Romans chapter 14 comes to mind you know who are you to judge another one's servant yeah. and so we do need to be careful as yeah. well and check our own hearts sometimes our hearts respond in a frustration towards somebody else 
because we also still have pride in yeah. us. Yeah. And so we're upset yeah. about the fact that this guy's like, well, I'm a great Christian. And you're like, no, well, I'm, I'm actually greater than you yeah. with this. But, um, yeah. And so you have this pride battle yeah. inside of yeah. you. And I think that's something that we need to check our own hearts in, in different conversations. There's times where… Get back to taking yes, up your cross. Yeah, like what somebody else has said sometimes <laughs> bugs us because yeah. of the very thing in us. Like, like um, we, we might get upset with arrogant people yeah. because we're also an arrogant person. You know, and so we, you know, th- these are the ways that we sometimes have hypocrisy yeah. in us. All right. Bless your heart. Uh, I hope that answers it for you well, Christopher Whitaker. And thank you for a very good question there. You tuned to Scriptural. Yes, I'm going to talk delf in die woord van die. Ah, is it niet wonderlijk om rond te swim in die woord van die Heere en te kyk wat sê die woord van die Heere met betrekking tot die vraag wat inkom vir oogend. Janice het een baie interessante vraag gevraag. Ek wil net hier seker maak met Rocky en Janice is baie dankie vir jou ook. As jy vraag wil instuur, 082-657-2729 Dis waarin jou vraag stuur en terwyl jy luister, as jy nie actief deelneem en net luister volgend in die program, wit vir ons dat ons die onverdunde woord van die Heere met jou sal deel. Ek also sê ons, moet muziek speel Janice When We Come Back uh, Janice, ask a question, Rocky, thank you so much, and um, she's asked a question, and she's passed it on from somebody who'd like to stay anonymous. Janice, I hope I do that correctly. She's passed it on from somebody who asked the question anonymously and says, can we communicate with the dead? So we'll uh, look at that in a moment or so. What does the Word of God says with regards to that? Can we communicate with the dead? And many people wonder about that because your loved ones has passed on. Maybe your son, your daughter, a husband or a wife that you loved very, very much. And uh, sometimes on the highways and byways of our city, you uh, see these tarot card readers or you open a magazine. Uh, there's uh, also on TV these programs. Uh, I know uh, Hollywood that pumps the sewage into our living rooms. Recently I had a, a program on TV called Medium. Uh, where they claim to communicate with the dead. We'll check that in a moment or so, but first, we've got uh, Sunmuri on the turntable with a song called Nothing is Impossible. When we come back, we'll tackle that one. In the meantime, stay close to your radio. We'll hear till 12 o'clock this afternoon. Yes, share our passion for life, and most of all, share our passion for God's Word. Scriptural, schriftelik is waar jy ingeskakel is. Jakko van Eerding, jy is volgaan aan die beerd. Kijk, ruk jou kop nou, jy het nie gewet, ons ga jou naam noem nie. Interessante vraag wat jy gevraagd has, so. Uh, by owns in uh, Rocky, when you look at the internet information highway, wobble you, wobble you, wobble you, who wants to know? Uh, there's uh, many, many people who believe in flat earth or round earth uh, saying, well, uh, is there such a thing as a flat earth? And then there's the whole crowd that says, but haven't you seen NASA's pictures? Jakob van Heerden vraag volgens die Bijbel, ek soek die skrif, is die aarde plat of is die aarde rond? And it's a fair question. The, yeah. What does the Word of God say with regards to that? Yeah, I, I believe that the Bible does hold to a globe of an earth. We see in Isaiah 40 verse 22, it says this about God. It says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. The circle of the and earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. 
who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. And so you do have a round earth given in Isaiah 40 verse 22 there. But one of the other arguments that I would appeal to is something like Psalm 103 verse 12, which says this, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And that speaks about, if you're thinking about, he doesn't say there from the north to the south, because there's a north pole and there's a south pole. But we know that as far as the east is from Mm. the west is immeasurable, because that would be the equator. You would go as far as you're going east, as far as you're going west, east and west are never going to now meet each other other in that Mm. sense. There's the infinite aspect of the way that he forgives our sins. Something else that I would appeal to as well is what we touched on a bit earlier with Noah. And you look at the flood, which was a worldwide flood. Yes. And if your earth was flat, you'd have the waters falling off the side of the earth as the waters would gather on the, on the earth. Yes. And so we then um, we, we talk about the bottomless pit. Um, and there's a great argument for that regarding Revelation, speaking about how hell or uh, the possibility of hell being at the very center of the the earth because yeah. if you're thinking of a a a a round globe and you're thinking about the middle of that globe it would have a bottomless pit because it's round and yes. it's and it's constantly it's a pit that has no bottom because yeah. it's in the middle of a circle yeah. in that sense so i think there's some extra and those were things that just came to mind as talking about this that that there are let's say extra possible arguments for this but i think the strongest argument would be the isaiah 40 verse 22 section i believe that there are some hints at this in the book of job as well regarding what the lord says saying where did the water stop where does the water not stop and when god is busy questioning job in all fairness and uh, now thinking back uh, you have to and 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 i think rocky we can say this to one another now does nasa exist or don't they exist and i think it's 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 well known they've sent uh, uh you know um, these 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 uh, space travelers, what you call it, rover uh, to Mars, and at one stage they've turned back, taken a picture of Earth, and I think there's ample uh, proof of that as well. But a, a fair question: Where does it say so in God's Word? Because that's the highest authority known to mankind, and that should put that uh, argument to rest. Jakob, yeah. Gopen, Mark, Sim, for you, bye, thank you. Interesting question. I want to say, but for the end, question. But I think Waar sê dit so in die Bijbel? That's definitely uh, food for thought and uh, that can put it to rest easily. You've got something else on your mind, Rocky? Yeah, um, I'm I'm also thinking just as a cautionary note, some of these things can be tremendously distracting and cause us to have a lot of arguments. And and the Bible would be very cautious or caution us against that, like in 2 Timothy 2 verse 23 to 25 where it says, we must do nothing from foolish, irreverent things. We mustn't be having... Um, you know, mindless babble or avoid irreverent babble and not be somebody that has is given to quarrels or fights. And so sometimes there can be quite a few arguments regarding these type of topics. Yeah. But we can we can know that the Lord is, is sovereign over this. And I've seen, you know, when somebody holds to a theory like this, they really can get into it. And they yeah. have got answers for almost everything. And it almost becomes... Uh, I'd, I'd say 
quote unquote almost cult like the oh, following right. for something like this and then oh, they right. say well it's just a one big lie everybody everything's just a lie yeah. um and and i think yeah we just got to be careful in the end you know if you take them to a passage like that one in the psalms and you're just able to exalt the greatness of god in taking our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west and there's so many grander topics in that sense so i would yeah. say a caution to not be somebody given to arguments regarding yeah, all right. these type of things all right. yeah. now he came back whilst you and i were talking he says uh, maar a platboord is ook rond a ronde bal wat in die licht float kan mos nie een fondasie heen nie God sê hy het a fondasie he was talking, making reference to the fact that God says the foundations of the earth he planted himself uh, something that's round can't have a foundation that's a that's a that's also a fair question that needs looking at but i think it takes a bit more study to 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 answer that one because that's something uh, totally different altogether well i mean the lord holds the earth around the sun he says in his palm of his hand and in the and in the palm of his hand but he he keeps it exactly spinning where he would have it go yes. around the sun and that would be another argument regarding what we face as a day um the the rotation of the earth around yes. the sun the the full rotation to make up a year the different seasons that we have the moon that that goes around the earth yes. and the scientific elements of even the tides and the and the the oceans and so so these are things that we that we see as extra biblical kind of proofs yes. towards these things like nasa or et cetera yeah, that yeah. would be extra biblical things but um but god knows how he holds the earth how come it still spins where it doesn't? Colossians chapter one is a great chapter to go see the way that everything exists for him and through him and to him. Yes. And that would be more where we drive our listener towards is the wonder of Christ holding all of this in his hands yeah. for his good purposes so that we would come to a, a loving relationship with the Father through Christ. And so that's a marvelous um, thought as we think about creation and how marvelous creation is and how how spectacular it is that God would have all of this in his hands. All right, and just a heeding, uh, a heed of warning once again, it can easily turn into a, bait, a debate of who's yeah. right and who's wrong, and that's besides the yeah, point. Interestingly, um, I, I once visited Dubai. I was very privileged to be there for a month, and I preached through the book of uh, Jonah there. It was wonderful to do that quite near to Nineveh geographically and yeah. to feel the heat of the east wind and etc. But um, I went up the tallest building, which was called the Burj Khalifa, yeah. um, and I went up... To, I think it was like the 126th st- story or something, and there was still another like 20 or 30 stories above me, right. which you had to pay an extra fee if you wanted to really yeah, go yeah. to the top. And they had to engineer this building. It was a fascinating thing. I love that type of stuff, architecture and things. And they had to manufacture it so that it would actually be uneven at certain places because of the wind and etc. Yeah. But even at that height, you could see something of the curvature of the earth. Yeah. And you've been in airplanes where you can see the, the curvature, curvature of, of the, earth. the earth. Now, there's yeah. arguments that guys come back with with that regarding light and regarding... So there's there's counter-arguments to yeah. all of these things. Yes. You know, So even if you've seen something with your own eyes, somebody will be like, oh, but you just saw it wrong. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. But the best argument that we can have is really Isaiah 40 verse 22, biblically. You know, All right. He sits above the circle of the earth. All right. I uh, want to leave it at that. Baie dankie, Jakko, ons gaan wegstap dan van die vraag af. En ek denk, daar is genoeg saam een skrif wat vir ons dit verduidelik. Interessante vraag oor die fondatie van die aarde. Ons kan moendlik voor en toe terugkom en kyk na die betekenisse van dit, maar dan is daar ook ander skrif wat sê die Heere hou die aarde in die palm van sy hand, in die holte van sy hand. Ook een gesprek dan vir een ander dag. Iemand wat gevraagd, how do I stop somebody from using the Lord 
What's name in vain? Rocky, we've got three minutes left in this program. Yeah, look, that's something that you're not going to really easily be able to stop them from. It would sometimes be, be good to recognize the person uh, for who they are, and maybe it's a family member, so that becomes a little bit more difficult if you're forced to be around their presence. But for you to live a holy life um, and to, to keep on showing them, somebody like John Newton comes to mind who wrote that marvelous hymn, Amazing Grace, and he used to take the Lord's name in vain like you cannot believe was yeah. a sailor, and God in his mercy saved that man. And so yeah. um, keep sharing the gospel with a person like that but you can't actually change a person from doing what they do god has given a level of liberty for how somebody will use their tongue or use their brain or use their eyes and it's to pray for that individual and to yourself live a life that is worthy of emulating and pray that god in his mercy would help them to see that there's this hope that's in you and that you speak differently you could ask and say please would you not do that it's offensive to me but um, in the end you can't actually control how somebody else will use their tongue and trust the lord to to work in them and um yeah maybe it maybe you can't even remove yourself from or use the honor of switch yeah or use the honor of switch just switch it off as if if it's offensive especially uh that what they call entertainment nowadays on television blaspheming the name of the lord rocky but but in the end if somebody's saved yeah that's what where i would appeal is is you share the gospel yeah and you trust the lord and you pray to the lord that he'd be merciful to save that individual when a person has had a nature change yeah they're definitely going to have a mouth change because what the mouth speaks is what the heart is full of and when somebody's cussing god it's because they hate god they're in a position where they're in darkness and they don't love the light all right would it be possible to answer this question about uh, communicating to the death in in literally under a minute would it be possible first samuel 28 verse 6 is the only recorded place where we see somebody from the dead being called up by a medium which was samuel called up to speak to saul and um, god had already outlawed this in according to his law and so mediums were to actually be put to death sorcerers were to be put to death and what you see in that passage if you go read it first samuel 28 is that even the medium gets a fright when samuel actually comes up why because all the other times it's demons they talk with demons and the demons deceive because yeah. that's what demons do. That's what Satan does. When he speaks, he speaks lies. Yeah. And so it's not possible to speak to the dead or commune with the dead. But God in his sovereignty allowed Samuel to actually appear to that medium and to speak to Saul. And it was part of his judgment upon Saul. And so even the medium there gets a fright when, it's, when they see Samuel because they expected a demon to come and deceive. But it actually was Samuel. Um, other places that come to mind is, for example, the... The Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus actually is there with Moses and with Elijah. And there that's a very different situation. You've got these people that actually aren't dead because they're with the Lord. And so that's why Jesus even said he is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not was God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, because they are with the Lord. And so those that are absent from the body are present with the Lord if they're in the Lord and if they're asleep and they're with the Lord. But God in his mercy or in his providence, let's say, in his sovereignty, in First Samuel 28 verse 6 allows a dead person in a sense, you know, Samuel to come and speak to Saul. And that was part of his judgment. But this is not something that is possible in our day. When people do this as tarot cards and uh, fortune tellers, what they're really doing is communing with demons. Wow. And you're walking on thin ice. You're playing, messing around with your soul and you're messing around with the word of God. Time to love and leave you. Thank you so much. Rocky, bless your heart. Uh, if somebody wants to be in touch with you, your email address. It's pastor at benonibiblechurch.co.za mm, Good to listen to Rocky and Vainant at Radio Pulpit, the program Scriptural, but ultimately Acts 17, 11, it says to search the Scriptures 
to see if these things are so. 11, 12 o'clock, latest news brought to you, and uh, uh, trust uh, that you have enjoyed the program. Bye, thank you for all the WhatsApps with Angestrom at Folkenwijk, Sudi Erebel. If the Lord tarries, we'll be tackling some more questions. Till then, search the scriptures, keep well. God bless you. Shalom.